0: This morning we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Job. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book of Job, if you're just showing up here this morning trying to pick up speed where where we're at, um, the book of Job tells the story of a believer in God who had, I guess we could say everything, and then who lost, probably safe to say, nearly everything. And the book tells. How he related to God during that struggle. And probably more importantly, how God relates to him. This is our eighth week of 10, so just two more to go after this. Though we are going to cover part of the final chapter this morning, chapter 42. I'm going to preach a uh, a shorter sermon, kind of a half sermon. Uh, don't celebrate too much uh, this morning, but I, I'm going to preach a short sermon and then we're going to do something we, we really don't ever do, but we're going to bring up Tim and Cindy Cole, who have been at this church for several years, and they're going to tell us, or they've told me throughout the weeks, we don't have, we have not experienced suffering that's Job-like. They haven't, they, and they haven't. But the sufferings they've experienced over the last few years have been very real. And the way that God has held on to them has also been very real and beautiful. And so I'm going to preach a shorter sermon, and we're going to bring them up, and we're going to get to hear a little bit about uh, what the Lord has been doing in their lives. So I'm going to read just two verses from our passage. So if you have a Bible, and you can grab one of these in the pew if you want, or it'll be on the screen. But Job chapter 42, for now, I'll just read verses 1 to 5, and then I'd ask you to pray with me, and we'll then study this passage together. Job 42, verse 1 and 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, it's very easy to relate to you as a theory, to relate to you as some possibility out there somewhere, something abstract and remote. That is not how Job was related to you in chapter 42, nor how you were related to him. Lord, I know there are things in our lives that It feels at times, perhaps like Job felt, where we're praying and it's like these prayers just float out into nowhere. But what we pray this morning is that you would draw near and we would know you more deeply. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In college, I bought a fancy mountain bike. It was called a Cannondale Lefty. It was this cool bike. I still remember it had, it's called a Lefty because it only had a shock on one side, shock absorber, um, which made it kind of rare and I thought cool. Um, and at the time I was more athletic and fit. And so when I met some guys at the bike shop and they were like, let's let's ride. I'm like, yeah, I I can ride with you. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't at all. Uh, I remember, so we meet at the trailhead and, um, I'm struggling to clip into my pedals and one guy sort of bunny hops over this mound of gravel that felt like as high as my thigh, twists his bike sideways, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> We're not even on the trail yet. And it only got worse. Uh, you know, every five minutes they had to stop and wait for me. Uh, and I caught up, but I never caught my breath. And it, and it was fun for them for an hour and a half and not so much for me. Um, but, but if this is possible on a human level, Right to to overshoot or I should say undersell the distance between uh, our abilities and someone else's abilities, which I've done all the time in cycling. It's interesting how cycling can lull you into thinking you're as good as somebody else when you're not <laughs> at all. Um, maybe other sports are like that too. But if that's possible on a human level, how much more so when we think about? underselling, how easy it is to undersell that distance between us and our humanness. And if we can say it this way, God and His Godness. When we come to chapter 42 in the book of Job, we're near the end. But what has happened just before the end is significant. God has come to Job in a series of questions, question after question after question, that He can't answer. And that's the point of the question's. So, for example, God asks, chapter 38, verse 4, Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And then again in verse, or another question in verse 12 Have you commanded the morning, Job, since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 40, or excuse me, 34 and 35, God asks, Can you, Job, lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? No, Job, you can't do this or that or a billion other things that only I can do, says the Lord. And as the questions keep coming... God seems to be making the point to Job and he seems to be making the point to us that we can mistakenly minimize the great distance between us and God. But the good news for Job and the good news for Christians is that whatever the level of the depth of our relationship with God is that God is committed to deepening our relationship with him. And that's a good thing for us, even when it's a hard thing. I want to go back through the passage very quickly and just give a sense of kind of each cluster of verses here in chapter 42. So, verses 1 and 2, they go like this. Then the Lord answered, excuse me, then Job answered the Lord and said, "I know, Lord, that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted." Now here Job speaks of knowing That's important. That word is going to keep popping up through these six verses. But I think if we had pulled Job aside before chapters 1 and 2, like before all the calamities, before we were introduced to him, so to speak, in the book, and we had pulled Job aside and said, Job, can we just talk to you for a second? Job, do you know that the Lord can do all things? Do you know that no purpose of his can be thwarted? I think Job would have said, yeah, I know that. I believe in the Lord. But I also think that the way he knows it now, when we come to chapter 42, as expensive as a lesson it has been for him, he knows it deeper. Look at verses 3 and 4. Each of these verses begin with a statement, actually, Job is quoting back. It's it's a question that God had asked him. So some versions insert, you ask, Lord, or something like that before 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 go like this. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. You'll notice that repetition of our word. We've got knowledge mentioned, and then the word understand, which is similar to the word know. When you say, oh, I understand, it's like saying, I know And then the word know is used. Then the word known is used. It's as though God is asking him, you say you know, but you don't know. To which Job says, yeah, I've done this. I have been darkening your counsel with words without knowledge. I think what's going on is Job is confessing that as I've tried to make sense of all the hard things in my life, as I thought back over this and that and why it could have happened, I confess I didn't know what I was talking about. Then we come to verses 5 and 6. Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes or my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Now you can stand in line watching people get on Sky Rush at Hershey Park. And you can interview the people about what it's like to ride Sky Rush. You can even, and I did this just very briefly, you can get on YouTube and you can watch YouTube videos of people riding Sky Rush. You can hear their screams. You can feel the camera jerk as it moves around, attached to the front of the roller coaster. But, I'll submit to you, this is something I'll never know. But it's probably a different thing to ride Skyrush than it is to hear about it. I say I'll never know because at least that's my, my good intention in life here is not to know <laughs> firsthand what it's like to ride Skyrush. Um, but that's Job. I mean, he, he, he knew of God, but now he knows God in a deeper way. One paraphrase of the Bible says it like this. Putting words in the mouth of Job saying, I'll never live again on the crusts of hearsay. Like, I'm not, God, to me, you're not an abstraction. You're not a theory. You're not some possibility out here. You're not rumors. You're not hearsay. I know you now. And so Job repents. And we need to, as brief as it is, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about what Job's repentance does and doesn't mean. And then what it might mean for us. See, if you've been here over the series, then this word repent that comes in verse 6, it should really jump out to us. And, and, and here's why. Because if you were tracking with what the friends say, and I know some of you are just jumping into the study, but, but what happens through the middle portion of the book is Job's friends come to him. They say, Job, you need to repent. The reason the suffering is coming upon you in this life is because you're a sinner. And if you weren't such a big sinner, if you would repent, then God would restore you. And Job says, no, well, I am a sinner, but but not like that. I didn't I'm not suffering because of sin in my past. And so, anyway, all that to say when this word repentance is used, we need to talk about why it's used. I mean, Job does repent and God does restore him, but I don't think repentance means here what Job's friends thought it should have meant. I don't have time to reread all the verses to show this, but I'll mention just a few briefly here in passing. In chapter 1, when we're introduced to Job, the narrator and then God himself refer to Job as a godly man, an upright and blameless individual. And then all the calamities happen there in chapter 1, and Job still continues to exalt God's goodness. And then in chapter 2, same thing happens. God says he's blameless, he's upright, he's a righteous man who fears me. And then more calamities happen and then Job speaks again exalting the goodness of God even as God gives and takes away. So the suffering in his life wasn't caused by sin. But I do think this happens. Somewhere between chapter 3 and chapter 31 as they go through their cycles of conversations with all their friends perhaps the best way to say it is Job slips. And we can hardly blame him for it. His friends are poking him over and over and over again in such unhelpful ways. But regardless of how he got there, what seems to happen is that Job's questions about life and his struggles to understand what God was doing in these difficult moments, at least at times, these questions seem to become accusations. And Job's appeal, Lord, if I could just talk to you, face to face, his humble appeal to talk to the Lord, at times what it seems like happens is that they become demands to speak to the Almighty. Lord, I will talk to you. You will talk to me. Chapter 32, verse 1, we read this. So these three men ceased to answer Job, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, I'm not sure that Job is actually as righteous in his own eyes as they think he is righteous in his own eyes. But look how God addresses Job at the beginning of chapter 38. So after all this talk from all these other people, God shows up, and this is what we read. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, some translations say a tempest and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Joe, put your pads on. <laughs> I'm going to get off the sideline and get in the game. I'm going to talk to you. I mean, feel the weight of that. God says he's darkened counsel with words without knowledge. And then in verse four, or chapter 40, he comes again. There's this little pause in these cycles of questions. There's two rounds of questions in this little intervening pause. Look what we read in chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I shall not answer. Twice and I will proceed no further. (laughs) But God keeps going. It's an interesting part of this book to me is that God goes round one. Job says, I'm not going to talk anymore. And then God just goes round two. (laughs) Question after question of impossible questions. Questions Job could never answer. What would have been the effect on Job? His knowledge of God went deeper. You see, Job's repentance, contrary to what Job's friends had said, was not for things he did before his suffering. But Job's suffering did expose, if we can say it this way, the cracks in his godliness, which happens to all of us, doesn't it? You put any one of us, the best believer, and I don't know who that would be, it's not me, but to put the best of us in the hardest of circumstances. We're just going to see the cracks in our godliness. You put us under a microscope. and There'll be parts of our lives, darkness in our heart that's not pretty. It's one reason we titled this sermon, From Saplings to Sycamores. You see, what Job had at the beginning, he had knowledge of God. He had fear of the Lord. But it was like a sapling. But by the end of the book, it's this huge sycamore. Strong and sturdy. His foundation has gone deep into God. And that's a good thing for Job, even when it's a hard thing. Well, if that's what Job's repentance means for him, what ways might it be good for us? This kind of repentance of coming to see God as he really is and us as small. I'll say one of the challenges of teaching through the whole book, but even specifically this passage, is trying to remember the goodnesses, kind of the, that's not really the right word, the good aspects that come out to, in the passage to us. And I'll say, I, I don't want to just, it's probably helpful to just mention this, every week when we're preaching, I'm wanting, Jason's wanting, who's ever preaching, we're wanting to find the good things in the passage. And, and the reason we're doing that is not because we have some rosy kind of commitment to positivity. We're not just trying to say, okay, if we just kind of look sideways and, lean, you know, say maybe there's a silver lining and maybe somewhere in there it could say something marginally helpful to us. That's not what we're doing. We have a conviction that God is good. And what he has said to us in his word is good. So I think we need to spend a few minutes just saying, how is this a good thing? Well, one way is there's a goodness in being undone before the Lord. No more pretense, no more abstractions. You see, Job knows at an emotional and experiential level that he's not God. He knows he's a human. And the more he knows of God, the more he knows that there's more to know of God. He knows that he wasn't there at the foundations of the world. He knows at the emotional, experiential level that he doesn't go into the closet and send forth lightning into the skies. He doesn't feed elk in the parts of Montana where nobody lives. He doesn't control the moon as it orbits the earth. And he doesn't know the number of hairs on your head. What Job knows now is God is God and Job is Job. How could that knowledge not be a good thing for him? I mean, when was the last time you were in awe of God? When was the last time you, you, you were going to say something and you put your hand on your mouth and say, I, I'm not, Lord, I'm just going to sit here in silence before you. Maybe if that doesn't sound like a good thing to you, it's because you haven't experienced it or because if you have, it's been so long. To feel small before a big and gracious God. I think another reason it's good for Job, good for us, to be undone before the Lord, is because it it shows us, in a good way, the sphere of our responsibilities. I mean, I was talking with Jason about this, and he, there's a certain joy to knowing where your responsibility starts and stops, and where, I mean, I guess where it starts and stops, and where, where it doesn't go. You're not responsible for that. And what I mean is, I can't fix evil dictators in third world countries. I can't prevent mass shootings in California. I'd want to, but but, but I don't know how. I mean, I can vote, I can love my wife, I can raise my kids, I can support missions, I can pray and be active in my local church, but I can't stop evil everywhere because I'm not everywhere all the time. And if I was, I'd be part of the problem at times. If God calls you to be a school teacher, you don't have to be a pastor to be really holy. You just be a good school teacher. If God calls you to be a stay-at-home mom, you don't have to be a senator. You just have to be a human. You have to be the Christian that God calls you to be. There's something freeing about that one of my favorite books I read over the last few years, actually I read it twice in the last few years, it's called The Imperfect Pastor. Uh, written by one imperfect pastor to other struggling imperfect pastors. It's by Zach S. Wine. He's a pastor in St. Louis. And though he's writing to pastors, I think it speaks to all of us and really identifies the repentance actually here that Job is talking about. Some quotes in the book go like this. You were never meant to repent for not being everywhere, for everybody, and all at once. You were never meant to repent because you can't fix everything. You were never meant to repent because you don't know it all. You were meant to repent because you've tried. One last reason, very quickly, this is a good thing for us. This knowledge of God That Job gains throughout the book. I think it's because of something Jesus says in the gospels. Earlier in this worship service. We recited together the Lord's Prayer. Also in that chapter. Jesus looks out into creation. And he points at a few things. He points at the lilies. And he says. Consider how God closed the lilies. Then he says. Verse 28. Look at the birds of the air. Look how God feeds them. And then he says, if God closed the lilies and he feeds the birds, how much more will he not care for you? Those he loves. This tour of creation that God takes Job on and in a sense takes us on through chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 41 that brings Job to this place of being undone in chapter 42 is a good thing for us in the same way Jesus tells us to consider the lilies and consider the birds. Because when we see all that God does in creation, so much more than we could ever fathom we also know that He cares for us. And He's a personal God. He not just provides for our needs generally in food and clothing, but He provides for our sin needs and our need for forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. And He tells us now not to be anxious because the God who rules over everything cares for you and us. What I want to do now um, is pray. And I'm going to invite Tim and Cindy, the Coles, and uh, Volker and Ted as I pray. We're going to grab the little table back there. We never do this at church, but this is a, going to be a wonderful thing just to hear about the way that the struggles in their lives have intersected with their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so pray with me, and and if you guys want to come on up, we'll set this up and spend 15 minutes talking together, and then we'll close the service in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are even when it feels like you don't know what's going on in your life, all of these questions that come to Job communicate you are absolutely aware of everything taking place at every moment. Lord, I pray now that as we chat with the Coles, uh, that you would help them to share the things you've been teaching them and the way you've deepened their faith in the hope of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Well, thank you for sitting up here with us. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know you over the last few years. Um, And I I do mean that as a a privilege. Um, But you've been through a lot. And so some of the people here know that. Um, Some of them don't. Would you mind just bringing, I, we joked, there's like the four-hour version <laughs> that's full yeah. of medical terms that like five out people out there know, I don't know. But there's kind of the two-minute version. Would, sure. you, would you just bring us into what the Lord has sure. kind of happened over the last three and a half years? Sure.
1: Uh, three and a half years ago, I had a very serious heart attack. I uh, went to three hospitals in one day and ended up being sedated for about three weeks. They tell me that it was very uh, touch-and-go. They weren't really sure that I would make it through. And um, between the stay in the hospital and the rehab, it was 82 days. And since then, the last three and a half years have been focused on my health. It's been ups and downs, and um, we're just essentially it's our job and to be consumed uh, with Doing the things to keep me alive.
0: Yeah, and now dialysis. Is, we get into all sorts of medical terms, but you're yeah. you're doing that at home
1: now. Yep, yep. How many days a week is that? We do that four days a week, and it takes us about six hours. Okay, so it's almost a full time <laughs> job.
0: Oh man, I mean, and just just put yourself in those shoes. You 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 go to the hospital. You think, or you, you're like, "Hey, I'm not feeling well," and then all of a sudden, eighty four days go, eighty two days go by. Yeah. That's wild. So, one of my—I said this first verse. So I'll say it again. One of my favorite lines in the Book of Job. We didn't really get a preacher cover, but I get to say it now. Um, in in chapter twenty nine, Job kind of uh, for six verses, probably says or, or maybe the best words opines <laughs> about his former life, and he has this line where he says, "Oh, that for the days when my steps were washed with butter." <laughs> I don't even know what that means exactly. You know, to have your steps washed with butter. It's just my favorite line in the book. Um, I think, though, it means there was a goodness, there was a sweetness, there was sort of a a fat, a a cream to his life before. I I, I know for you, I don't know that your steps were necessarily washed with butter, but we don't know what that means. But what have been some of the struggles, not just physically, um, but emotionally and spiritually as you've transitioned to what is this new normal?
1: Sure. My struggle... And as I look back at it, probably the biggest emotional struggle was uh, my identity. Um, I'm like most. We take our identity from what we do. I was earning a living, was providing for the family, um, was independent. And all of a sudden, I needed my wife uh, and my family to help me. Um, It's difficult to walk. There are times that I end up in my wheelchair um, driving. Cindy has been my chauffeur uh, ever since. So it's taken quite an adjustment. And some of my real emotional times are when I can't pick something up off the floor for myself. Mm. Can't move a box.
0: When we were talking there, you'd mentioned um, this week that you know, there are times, as we all do, you look out two, three months, and you're, you're going to plan a vacation. What am I going to do for Christmas? And and so planning is like months or years or, or whatever. But but th- talk to me just spiritually, the, the, the day-to-day.
1: The the day-to-day is uh, what are we going to do today that contributes to uh, my health and and keeping me alive, going to doctor's appointments, mm. uh, the dialysis. Spiritually, it. It's so consuming to do what we do that I've struggled getting back to a regular uh, time Mm -hmm. in God's word. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just getting to that point. And we talked about it this morning on the way here. It's because, not an excuse, but it's been because there's so much mental and emotional energy spent doing the things that we do. And the ups and the downs of my health.
0: Yeah. Well, I know you say that, but I, I, uh, you know, I just remember your first Sunday back at church. Uh, we, we pulled the chair and we can't, I don't know, pew wise, we can't move those as easily, but we pulled right. the chair out of the way and we, and, uh, you may say you struggled to, to long or for the word or to, you know, uh, I, I do think of you as someone who, who long, yeah, values God and his word and his church. Thank let, you. Let, let me say this. So, to so Job, um, goes through this experience. He says, "I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see." I, maybe to both of you, you can, Tim, you can start. You got the mic. But what, what, for, what are ways perhaps that you know the grace of God of Jesus Christ more deeply now than you did before?
1: Because of the care uh, that I that I have received, I I've been a believer since late high school, and I look at the timing of this. Um, and because of that time and getting to know who God is and how, what his character is, when this has happened, when I came out of the sedation and started this long road of recovery, what we hope is recovery, um, <clears throat> I've never been bitter towards God, never been a- angry with him that it happened, um, never questioned him why it's happened. Uh, what I do sometimes question him about is what do we what do we do with all this because there 's not been time to minister to others it's it 's been ministering to us because of what the church has done
0: cindy do you what are some things the Lord has taught you uh, ways that you know him more deeply now
2: well um I've known the Lord since I was seven, so that's a lot of years. (laughs) But uh, like we were talking about Job going through suffering, he came out knowing him deeper. And um, I I just, I would want people to know that um, you can trust him. He's faithful. He graciously cares for us. He meets our needs. He gives peace in um, constantly changing and uncertain uh, circumstances because it's always changing and uncertain with Tim's health but there's a peace there and I know it's it's from the Lord so I would say
0: well yeah just a few things he's specifically been teaching you I know there's um just how to listen and how what what does it mean to grieve what are yeah some things he's been teaching you
2: um I'm somebody who likes to fix things and make everything okay, and when Tim's going through a rough time and in, in kind of grieving some losses and whatnot, um, I've found that sometimes I don't have to have the words. Sometimes just listening and um, being empathetic um, is what he needs. And uh, I don't have to fix it and find the right thing to say. Um, I pray for him. I pray scripture for him. I pray that God would encourage him, um, give him hope and peace and joy. I pray that God would show me how to encourage him. Um, Also, I haven't suffered uh, in the same way that Tim has, but I do grieve the losses, that he grieves, and um, I have to read this. I have a quote from John Piper that I, that's I that been very helpful to me, so I, I have it written here so that I could share it and not butcher it, but it, it's good advice for me. Occasionally weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be, grieve the losses, feel the pain then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that he's given you. Clearly our life isn't what we envisioned it would be in these years, but for me, something I've had to do and that has been helpful for me is to surrender what I thought our life would be and the dreams that we may have had, uh, surrender those to God because his ways are higher and he has a different path for us. And um, when I surrender that to him, I'm able to embrace that path that we're on now. And I have found that when we have God in our life, we're truly able to experience joy in sorrow.
0: That surrender you talk about, it's, it's... That's a, that's a, you do it once and it's done, right?
2: No. <laughs> Sadly. Maybe for some people. No, I, I'm teasing I'm you. one of those people that sometimes takes it back and <laughs> then I have to give it again, you know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a process. I, I,
0: yes, that is the Christian life, <laughs> a moment by moment right. dependence and trust in the Lord. So, I kinda ask both of you, maybe Tim to you first here. Um, and I'm gonna ask you this, but really, I'm I'm asking you to kind of press it out into us because we're we're doing this here, not just in your living room. We're doing it here in front of everyone because because I want us to wrestle with this answer. But um, I know it was important for you to develop close gospel friendships before all this. Um, you you probably didn't do it with. There's gonna be a day when I'm gonna go to the hospital for 82 days. You know, you didn't see that. But but talk to us about what you did before and why it's been helpful and what we might need to be doing now as a church. Uh,
1: Before all of this, it regularly attending church and fellowshipping with the body, getting to know people, being in small groups. Uh, We've been in a number of small groups, um, uh, actually led small groups and uh, was involved with a men's group, accountability group, Just fellowshipping and walking with other believers week in and week out is so important. Um, and, And like you said, not because I knew one day that this would happen, and all of a sudden, and this is how God has been gracious to us and blessed us, those relationships in the church God has sustained us through them, in in all honesty. People that came to the hospital, I hear these stories. I was asleep, um, dreaming about weird things. Um, Anyhow, people that came and prayed with Cindy and prayed with the family and uh, how the church has come around us because I can't do things around the house anymore. Um, Just the prayer support. That doesn't happen just on it, on its own. It's it's God working through the relationships that that we've had, and that's, that's a great. Yeah.
0: So God can do anything, but He is pleased to use His people so often, and that's why those deep friendships are not a luxury. They're 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 what He intends at for every Christian. Cindy, how would you just? the body of of Christ and, and the church and friendships, um, what would you say? Uh,
2: the body came around us um, in a time that was really scary. And so many people from the church would just show up at times and, and pray with us. There was never not somebody there. Um, Benjamin came to a family meeting we had where we were discussing something when Tim was sedated, and we had to discuss with the doctors what we would do, um, a course of action, and Benjamin offered to come. And um, another thing was um, our youngest son at the time was just graduating from high school, and there were several men in this church that surrounded him. Um, They texted him. They called him. They took him out to lunch. They were just making sure he was okay, Uh, that meant a lot to me because it met a need that I could not meet at that time for our son. I was sitting next to Tim's bed most of the time, and um, they took over in that aspect, and that was really appreciated, and it it was the body of Christ working.
0: Well, maybe we'll kind of end here and just ask this question, maybe first to Tim and then to you, Cindy, too. But, um, you know, it was an, they talk about me going to a meeting and others. Have, I, you couldn't go see them in a hospital and not leave, ridiculously encouraged. It was, it was, it was, it was this humorous, strange part thing of a very heavy situation is that uh, multiple times people would say, I went and saw the Coles and, I was mad and grouchy, and then I left as happy as could be. (laughs) Uh, And not that everything was perfect, obviously, for you guys. There were some very hard moments where hard things were being contemplated. Um, Perhaps, you know, some of them I'm I'm aware of. Others I'm not. But as I look out, knowing the people of our church, um, there are hard things being weighed in the balance. And and, and if not, they might be around the corner. How would you encourage them, uh, encourage us, uh, to those that might even be suffer- feeling suffering right now, whether health or finances or or what have you,
1: this was a difficult question for me because I really think it depends upon who you are in contact with but just to share a quick quick short I can talk um, a good friend of mine, accountability partner he was I was the first one that he came to to tell me about their pregnancy and the fact that they didn't think that this pregnancy would make it to birth. And if it did make it to birth, it might not make it through. And all I could do was sit, listen, cry with him, and just commit that I'd walk through this journey with him. And that's what I would encourage you to do if you're hurting is, is share with somebody and pray, and we pray that somebody would do the same.
0: That's good. Cindy, what, would, what might you say?
2: Um, a few things that help me when I am in a situation where there's, it's suffering, I guess, um, is being able to look back at what God has done through my life the answers to prayer the miracles that he's performed um it, almost i would say to people write them down when god does that for you because when you're going through a hard time you can look back and see what he's done and it's, you realize god was here then he's here now it, it builds your faith to look back and see what he's done another thing is um being in the word and in Psalms, David pours out his heart uh, in the Psalms. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's encouraging uh, to know that we can just tell God and he understands. And um, uh, listening to praise and worship music is good for me because um, it takes my focus off of the situation that we're in and puts it on the Lord and it changes your perspective Mm -hmm. and and one other thing is i think having other people maybe being part of a small group but having other people that you care for and pray for because if you're praying for others it kind of takes your eyes Mm -hmm. off of your situation and um Puts it on on somebody else and caring for them.
0: I, I think that's really helpful. That's and it's almost Job's testimony, right? He what's the language? I, my eyes see. He's lifted his eyes somewhere. That's what God's doing through all those chapters. He said, look up, look up, Job. And uh, well, I thank you for being brave and risking uh, talking up here with us. I'm going to pray. I'm looking at Ben back there, you can come up and lead us. Maybe you guys in one more song, and uh, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Be praying for the they there. Um, things are always up and down and hard, and even this week, it wasn't even, I made them write out their answers so that I could just read them to you in case things didn't work out um, as far as just having setbacks in health, and so just be praying for them and uh, encourage them, maybe even send them notes throughout the weeks. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, man, I, I think about what it meant to see Tim back in ICU three and a half years ago, just felt like he was hanging on by a thread and and not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say. What a privilege and a joy it is to sit here with him now and Cindy and hear their testimony of your faithfulness. (laughs) Hear even one of the struggles he says is, well, I, I just feel like I can't minister to others very well right now. What Lord, you, we can't manufacture that on our own. That is a testimony of you working in Tim and Cindy's life. I pray for them and that you would continue to sustain them and uphold them, as it says in the Psalms, with your righteous right hand. And uphold us as well in the good news of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.